International organized crime rings are increasingly targeting financial services by exploiting security gaps in payments, emerging technologies such as mobile and online banking interactions. The president has issued a sweeping new executive order targeting organized crime, which will have a significant impact on the financial services industry. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Brian Grant and David Nussenbaum of Ernst & Young, who share insights about how the Department of Treasury is focusing attentions on emerging financial risks. How will banks and credit unions be impacted? David, Ernst & Young has been reviewing international organized crime trends for some time now. What can you tell us about the research and the reason Ernst & Young has identified organized crime as an international concern that needs attention? Sure. Thanks, Tracy. Well, first of all, let me say that uh, Ernst & Young has a global 1,200-person uh, strong department called Fraud Investigations and Dispute Services. So this is an organization that has extensive forensic and investigative skills and has a long history of investigating particular cases of fraud on behalf of clients in the financial sector and uh, across many different industries. You know, within the last year or so, I've really taken an interest in the level of technical sophistication and organization that uh, has been displayed uh, when these uh, rings have been busted. So it was kind of that uh, more recently where we really wanted to dig deeper into uh, what's going on in some of these recent cases of uh, financial crime against the banking industry. By the way, I did read something recently which says that overall, globally, organized crime brings in roughly $2 trillion a year, just a very um, broad estimate. So how much of that is really coming out of bank accounts, consumer and corporate bank accounts? How much of that is actually being laundered through bank accounts in the financial system? Well, that number is not exactly uh, known by any means, but we believe it's a significant component of the $2 trillion. Now, Brian, the Department of Treasury has identified certain crime rings as being specifically concerning for financial services companies. What can you tell us about the Treasury's interest and the international crime cells the department has identified as posing concern? Well, Tracy, thanks. I mean, I can tell you that the Treasury Department is very interested in using the financial tools that it has in its toolbox, tools that it is, it's used with great effect in the context of weapons proliferation, i.e. Iran, and used to disrupt it and dismantle terrorist financial networks. They're very interested in using these tools to target the organized crime threat. And specifically what the Treasury Department is doing right now is implementing Executive Order 13581, which is the centerpiece of a much broader strategy, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit, which is designed to identify, disrupt, and dismantle the financial support networks that support four named organized crime groups. And those groups are the Yakuza, based in Japan, the Kimura, based in Italy, the Brothers Circle, a.k.a. the Moscow Center, which has its headquarters, which operates primarily in the Russian Federation, and the Zetas, an organization which has previously been targeted by the Treasury Department as a designated foreign narcotics kingpin, but is also now being targeted also in parallel under this new program. And, and, and what I can say about these groups is that these are very these are some of the largest organized crime groups in the world. A number of these groups are they're sprawling groups that are collections of different subgroups, 
So until the Treasury Department implements designations, lists individuals and entities on the specially designated nationals list, we're not going to have a full picture of how this program is going to go. Like I said, some of these groups are very amorphous, the brother circle in particular, while others are a little bit more defined, you know, for example, the, the Zetas. And so, Brian, what can you tell us about some of the actions that the Treasury is taking? Right now, they're very vigorously trying to map these networks out, leveraging all sources of information to build out their packages in support of sanctions designations. They're going out and they're meeting with the international community, sharing information with foreign governments, and, and really trying to make this a, a global effort and not just a U.S. effort, because any kind of effective strategy against organized crime, remember, it's called the Transnational Organized Crime Executive Order that the Treasury Department is implementing. It's transnational. It's going to require the active cooperation of our allies, of U.S. allies overseas. And you've probably answered my next question, and that was, what is the government's strategy on transnational organized crime? And this is a strategy, of course, that came out in July. This is one part of a whole-of-government effort. And that's really, I think, the key. The current administration, the Obama administration, early on in its tenure, identified organized crime as constituting not just a law enforcement challenge, which historically it had been viewed as a law enforcement challenge, you look at the May 2010 national security strategy, it identifies organized crime as a national security issue. And then again, in the July 2011 organized crime strategy, it also elevates organized crime into the national security sphere. And what does this mean? It means then that all tools of national power are going to be used to identify, disrupt, and dismantle these networks. So in addition to the, the standard tools of law enforcement, the standard tools of diplomatic outreach, you're also going to be bringing into bear the financial tools. So it's going to be a holistic approach, and these tools that have been used so successfully in the context of isolating Iran financially, disrupting al-Qaeda networks, these tools are now going to be used in the, in the organized crime context. Now, David, this strategy requires more than simply addressing lists of individuals known for suspicious activity. Can you tell us how that strategy is going to impact financial institutions as well as others that touch the financial space? Yeah, I, I agree. At first, our reaction was, well, from a bank perspective, if uh, Treasury eventually do, just adds a few uh, additional names of entities that might be associated with organized crime, if they just add them to sanctions screening lists, what, what real change does that make in bank operations? But it really is more than that. And I think this is actually an area where there's opportunity for banks to think uh, creatively in terms of um, uh, re really looking at transactions that might uh, hit uh, create a hit on uh, some sort of watch list uh, where there's uh, notification that perhaps the transaction is associated with an organized crime group. And then maybe there's, a, there's an opportunity for the bank to think broadly, uh, get in touch with uh, the, for the compliance people to get in touch with the fraud people and to really proactively uh, monitor and stay on top of, of the activity in those accounts because as we've been trying to say before, uh, uh, these people are not just laundering money. Uh, these people are committing fraud. 
And uh, so a hit on a sanctions list could lead to a variety of different uh, uh, reactions and countermeasures uh, uh, in the fraud department, for example, at a bank. And David, how will the new sanctions program affect banks and credit unions? What do they need to do to comply? Yeah, so just drilling deeper on the thought um, that I mentioned before, um, you know, we know there's a lot of card and payment fraud emanating from uh, Russia and Eastern Europe. Uh, Brian cited one of the the, the the known organized organizations, and, and we're seeing a lot of um, uh, activity, indictments uh, around other sorts of um, uh, gangs that may be in one way or another affiliated with this broader group. So, again, I mean, in, in a particular example, if there's some sort of uh, watch list filtering that's showing uh, uh, transactions related to any of these uh, Eastern European groups, uh, my suggestion would be that the uh, fraud department be alerted immediately and uh, adjust their detection engines to look for any sorts of payment activity that might uh, correspond to, uh, to, to, to activity of any of these organized groups. So, Brian, why is the government taking an interest now? Why is organized crime getting attention? Tracy, that, that's an excellent question, and, and frankly, it's, it's a question that I think has been on the minds of many in the financial services industry and, and more broadly. After all, it's almost 40 years after the issuance of, uh, of the movie The Godfather. I think that the reason for that is you have to sort of take a step back and look at the evolution that's been taking place over the last 10 years, an evolution that really was, if not initiated, at least significantly catalyzed by the, the tragic events of September 11th. And this is really a, an increasingly sophisticated way of looking at national security on the part of the U.S. government and, and bringing more and more tools into the governmental toolbox to respond to particular threats. And what you've seen in the context of terrorism, in the context of weapons proliferators, international efforts to apply financial and economic pressure against Iran, and other countries involved in weapons proliferation is, is an understanding and appreciation of the importance of finance and economics to utilize the financial system to support their activities and the power that financial tools, economic sanctions, anti-money laundering controls, and things like that, the, fa- the power that these financial tools have to disrupt these organizations. It, it's very interesting. When I started at the Treasury Department back in 2000, Rarely was the Treasury Department involved in National Security Council meetings. Today it is very, very standard for the Treasury Department to be playing a very important role in conversations about threats to U.S. international security. I think that's why now you see use of these tools against organized crime, a very, very old threat, but a threat that I think perhaps more than, 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 even than, than other threats relies on the financial system. And so, Brian, why are the risks or what are the risks and how are these groups exploiting the financial sector? Could you give us some specific examples? When you look at terrorism, the motivation there is primarily ideological. And one can make, to a certain extent, the same argument for weapons proliferation. But organized crime, similar to narcotics trafficking, is all about the money. It's all about engaging in criminal activity for money. And Dave earlier talked about some statistics related to the volume of money that's being generated by organized criminal activities. And criminals like to use the financial system 
for the exact same reasons that legitimate businesses like to use the financial system because it's faster, cheaper, more efficient than alternates. Organized crime places the entire financial system at risk of exposure to illicit financial activity. And I think one of the more instructive examples, and there are many, and this was probably a whole subject of another conversation, a very instructive example is the example of Semyon Mogilevich. He's on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. Actually, he's Ukrainian-born, as I believe. It's all about financial activity. It's all about securities fraud. It's an international fraud. It's a fraud that involves multiple transfers through major financial institutions. It's a fraud that took place over a large period of time. It's a fraud that the U.S. government estimates cost investors over $150 million in losses. So these are very sophisticated frauds. They're involved in legitimate and illegitimate activities. They're involved in large dollar amount activities. They control companies. They are, in some instances, very enmeshed with public corruption type issues. So there's a, there's a convergence here of a lot of different things. There's a convergence of fraud. There's a convergence of corruption. There's a convergence of traditional crime and law enforcement type concerns. And now with the sanctions program, you have the interjection of sanctions concerns into this picture. So for financial institutions, this is sort of a, a, a kind of a perfect storm of, of illicit financial activity that banks and other financial institutions need to take account of. And then, David, I wanted to come back to you. What can financial institutions do to mitigate some of these risks? We're learning how sophisticated and coordinated and technologically astute the organized crime community is. And so the message is that we, we in the financial community have to have similar, frankly, better uh, levels of coordination, communication, technological innovation uh, in order to, uh, to comply and in order to actually uh, put a stop or at least uh, put a stop to some of the activity that's going on uh, by these organizations. So it's a perfect example for how communication has to be shared in, in the example we gave before between sort of the, the AML sanctions area and the fraud area. And that really calls upon uh, good informal relations and uh, communication skills amongst individuals within the institutions and particularly among uh, for more sophisticated technology, for better integration of uh, platforms like case management platforms so that the information... Uh, flows readily between departments uh, with or without the good informal relations amongst individuals. David and Brian, I want to thank both of you for your time today. Thanks a lot, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Brian Grant and David Nussenbaum of Ernst & Young. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.